0: you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, I am joined by special guest Christopher Pellegrini. Christopher is an author a podcast host, a shochu, an awamori expert. And what Chris does is he uses his infectious enthusiasm to incorporate his knowledge in every professional endeavor with Japanese spirit. So we're going to be talking to him about what these big words are. And hopefully I don't butcher them too bad. But Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. You did a great job. That was perfect. You're actually ahead of about 98, 99% of the folks that I talked to about these drinks.
0: Well, I appreciate it. That makes me feel good. Why don't you start (laughs) off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself?
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate everybody for listening. Thank you for having me on the show. My name is Christopher Pellegrini at your service, and I'm basically a drinks nerd, born and raised in Vermont and started homebrewing before it was legal for me to do so and took those experiences and in the interim turned myself into the most insufferable underage beer snob you've ever met in your life and I just started to really geek out about small batch really attention to detail really flavorful drinks and I ever that never left from my way of thinking about my future I always dreamed of opening a brew pub I think that was my goal for a long time but long story short boy meets girl and girl wants to move to Japan so I ended up in Japan back in 2002 after traveling and live traveling to and living in a couple of other countries and I ran headlong into Japan's indigenous spirits and these are the spirits that you drink. I'm, I'm not talking about other types of important spirits, but the ones that you drink and the ones that are absolutely essential to Japanese culinary culture are known as shochu, S-H-O-C-H-U, shochu and awamori, A-W-A-M-O-R-I, awamori. And I had never heard of them before. And, one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden I'm traveling around and I'm giving talks about these drinks and I'm writing a book about these drinks and, and now, and then the government's supporting me as designated ambassador for these drinks. And now I have two companies that are dedicated to these drinks. So it's just been wild journey of never saying no, just always being open to the maybes in life. And here I am, twenty years later in Japan, and I've gone from something that was a hobby, something that was just kind of a, <laughs> a really being done in my closet, brewing beer, and and you know, I hope the statute of limitations has expired on all of that. But and now I'm I'm here in another world, just doing it as a vocation and enjoying every second of it. So. Hopefully that wasn't too long. Hopefully I've still got all of you here. I promise that I can be more inspiring as we move forward, folks. So stick with me.
0: Oh, no, you got it. Tell us what shochu and alamari is. Explain to people who might not know what that is.
1: Absolutely. So these drinks are just Japan's biggest secret. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb there and just put that right out at the front. I'm gonna put my thesis right at the beginning of this explanation. They are Japan's biggest secret. Let me give you some context. There is more shochu and awamori made in Japan every year than tequila in Mexico. And that's, I know that everybody's going, wait, what? I've never heard of these drinks. How is that possible? Well, you can look it up yourself. There's more by volume shochu and awamori produced in Japan. Now, close to two-thirds of tequila and mezcal is exported out out of Mexico, much of it coming to the States. Less than 1% of shoju and awamori leave Japan. It is an almost entirely domestically enjoyed spirits class, and... It's made everywhere across the country. Also really interesting, and folks even here in Japan don't believe me until I show them the tax data that the government produces, more shochu and awamori are enjoyed and sold in Japan than sake. That's on a by volume and by value basis. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but again, you just look it up and you'll see that a lot more shochu and awamori has, is sold here every year. And ha- that's been the truth since 2003. So I think maybe you understand that this is, hopefully everybody understands that this is really a monster of an industry that is just kind of hiding in plain sight in Japan. And it's waiting to find new fans, new convertees all over the world. And I think that's, I think we're on the precipice of that. Now, what are the drinks? They are spirits. And when I say spirits, I mean more in the whiskey, tequila, gin side of things. All right. Sometimes this, the word spirit is used to just refer to all alcoholic beverages, but that's not the case. If you use a still to distill it, then it becomes a spirit. So you have beer and you put it in a still and then it becomes whiskey, right? You have wine, put it in a still, it becomes brandy, okay? To a limited extent, to a very, very limited extent, one of the simple ways of thinking of what shochu is, is you take sake, you put it in a still, you have rice shochu. Okay, so these are distilled beverages that can be made from rice. Now, awamori, which I'll get to in a moment, awamori, which is shochu's uncle or auntie, it's a little bit older, historically preceded shochu's genesis by, could have been about a hundred years or more, but awamori is only made with rice, that's a rule. But shochu is probably the most diverse spirits class on the planet. It can be made from 53 different approved ingredients, combination of grains, tubers and vegetables, really no fruit. And these are controlled by the Japanese tax office. The list of approved ingredients is controlled. Some other controls on both awamori and shochu are that, and this is strange, you're just gonna have to take my word for it. These drinks are single pot distilled. And I don't mean that in the single pot distillation sense of Irish whiskey. I mean it in the sense of you take your fermentation. So in whiskey, we're talking about a beer. In brandy making, we're talking about a wine. You take that fermentation and you put it, you run it through a pot still just one time. And that's how this spirits class is made. And the result is you get a far lower alcohol percentage on the distillate, on the spirit that comes out, but you get way more flavor and way more aroma by by an order of magnitude. And so the magical thing about these drinks is they actually smell and taste like what they're made from. So when we're talking about shochu, you don't just say to people, do you like shochu? You ask them, what kind of shochu do they like? So I happen to be a huge sweet potato shochu fan. I love it because the drink exudes all of the earthiness and the the place where those sweet potatoes were born and harvested. A lot of people, the second best selling style in Japan is barley shochu, which a lot of people enjoy because it tends to have these nice honeyed toasted notes to them and many expressions of barley shochu have light floral notes and light banana notes to it. So that's a very popular subcategory of shochu. Then there's rice shochu fans. And as I said before, there is a slight connection to sake making in that there are definitely tastes and smells like steamed rice. There's also ginjo notes in there. So you get melon and tropical fruit and apple notes, sometimes a little bit of bubble gum. And then there's some lesser known, but also really interesting ingredients such as, geez, there's carrot shochu and there's, Kelp shochu and tea shochu. I've, I've tried milk shochu before. There's all of these interesting regional ingredients that are permitted in the production of shochu. And they all they all present like the ingredients that they're made from because of that simple single pot distillation. So what we're talking about here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and summarize this in people's minds. We're talking about a very... aromatic and relatively, I guess we'll call it a medium alcohol by volume class of spirits, usually 25 to 30% ABV. So that's lower than your standard worldwide known spirits classes like gin and whiskey and tequila, which tend to start at 40%. And these drinks are made according to very strict regulations and according to traditional standards. And they are Japan's best kept secret. They, they are made all across the country and yet outside of Japan, almost nobody knows about them.
0: So what made you wanna live in Japan? You've been living there for the last 20 years and I yeah. believe you're a teacher also, but what made you wanna live in Japan?
1: Really was not my idea. <laughs> I followed my now wife here at the time we were dating and she really wanted to live in Japan for a year. And so I said, sure. And so I continued to do what I was doing at the time, which is, as you said, I was in education and I still am, am to a limited extent, but I I got a position at a university in downtown Tokyo where I was at first I was I was teaching English and then I quickly moved into teaching writing which is a passion of mine and and one year led to two and two yet led to five and five led to a mortgage and we're here still here 20 years later I knew nothing about Japan other than the, the very basics I had never studied Japanese before I really I wasn't one of the People, I guess I missed all the TV and all the anime and I didn't play video games when I was growing up. So I didn't really have any of that aspect of Japan's soft, soft culture that some of my friends were really jazzed about. I think I just barely missed that whole thing. My parents were both educators as well and they just did not really allow us to watch any TV. So I didn't really have exposure to that aspect of Japanese culture that a lot of people from my generation and certainly the the generation that came soon after really got revved up about but I was happy to follow my at the time girlfriend here just because I was hoping that our relationship was gonna gonna continue and what better way to test it than to travel together right so we moved here for a year and we just fell in love with the place we loved the The we love the city. We love the people. We love the culture. We love the fortunately we were able to create some community here and really feel like we had a support network and then staying for that second year. And that third year was not a question at all. It was every year it kept moving forward and every year we got more comfortable. And I fell in love with these, these quirky spirits from You know, I say they're made all over Japan, but they're mostly made in southwestern Japan in the more subtropical regions. But it was just it was the beginning of what has now become something that I'm incredibly grateful for, a a journey that has taught me so much and a journey that I'm really excited to continue over the next decade or two.
0: So tell us how it's different doing business in japan versus doing business in the united
1: states (laughs) i love that question that's a great question lordy lordy so i have a i have a i'm in trade i i made the very difficult decision in march of 2020 and you may recall where you were and what you were doing then we were just getting started on this pandemic and that was the time when i decided okay i'm gonna I'm going to quit my, my, you know, my full time job, my guaranteed position and everything at the university. And I'm going to start an import company in New York. And I'm going to try to manage it from my home <laughs> in Tokyo. It was amazing timing on that life decision. Fortunately, my better half was supportive. And I, yeah, it's, 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 it's remarkable. So there's the New York business. Preceding that was a business here in Japan, which is also in trade. And they are not explicitly connected, but they depend on each other for a multitude of reasons, logistical being the most important, and brand development. But basically, it's two separate teams. It's two separate time zones, which makes it very interesting. And, you know, in the morning, I start my day by working with the team and our, our business in Fukuoka, Japan, which mostly deals in export and some limited import as well. And then that goes until the early afternoon and then after lunch sometime, usually a little bit before dinner. I take a, a little break. Then I have dinner. And then starting at about 8 or 9 p.m., I start work with the American outfit, the American import company. is called Honkaku Spirits. Honkaku, H O N K A K U, is the Japanese word for authentic, and we import shochu, awamori, and then also koji whiskey into the U.S. market, and then educate consumers about these koji spirits. I'll talk a bit of, a bit about koji in a moment. But how are they different? The time zone is wildly different, so I don't really sleep. I think my next My next nap is scheduled for like 2025, but they are different in terms of the people involved and they are different in terms of the culture that they're, that they are rooted to the foundations of those two businesses, wildly different. If you're in business in the States, you have some idea about how to, to deal with customers and expectations and just the, the general way of doing business in the United States. And obviously the, the alcohol industry is a completely different animal on its in its own right. But I think probably a lot of people could move into that sector and kind of get used to it rather quickly. Over here in Japan, doing business is so much about relationships, not necessarily about contracts, and so much about just trust built up over a long period of time. And a lot of newcomers to Japan, if you're, if you're trying to take your business and create a subsidiary in Japan, you're trying to create an office over here and you, you want to create the Japanese outpost of your business, to do so in a way that does not take into account cultural sensitivities on this side and the expectations of clients on this side you may come over here thinking that you're going to create a little, you know, a mini little dose of American enterprise in, America, in Japan, or maybe your business is, is from the Netherlands or whatever. At the end of the day, you will be bent into a Japanese form in one shape or another, and there's no turning back. It will be a very, 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 very Japanese version of your company if you want to be even slightly successful over here just because the expectations the context is so important over here and you cannot escape it one thing that i i often hear from our team is in in the us which I, makes me crack up now they often say well it doesn't hurt to ask Yeah, you know, we don't have, you know you have the conversation and and then see where it goes that's that works in the states you can have the conversation. It might be a tough conversation. And usually it is. Usually you're asking for something that the other, the other side needs to compromise on or that they need to be aware of and they need to adjust their, their approach to something to continue to push the, the relationship in a mutually beneficial direction. In Japan, sometimes it does hurt to ask. Sometimes you can damage the relationship just by asking. And so that's a a really interesting, that's a really interesting component to pretty much every conversation. You really do have to consider how the message is going to be received from the other side and all the different ways that it can be misinterpreted. And it takes a long, long, long time to fully grasp how, how much of the communication here isn't about the words that are coming out of your mouth it's about the context itself and it's really hard to explain to people you you have to live in japan it's it's not something that you can teach in a, in a language classroom very easily especially if you're not in japan when the teaching is happening it's it's just a completely different set of relationships and appreciationship for the connections and the the hierarchical stature of the of the folks involved it's it's so diametrically different the united states that it's it's really hard to just to try to explain it is to do it as a service almost so i guess i'll i'll stop myself there
0: well you mentioned koji whiskey you mentioned it in the green room and you just mentioned it a few minutes ago so tell us what that is koji whiskey koji whiskey so this is this is
1: remarkable. And I, what is Koji? K-O-J-I. Let's start there. Koji is Japan's national mold. M-O-L-D. So I didn't mispronounce malt. It's a mold. And I know that sounds incredibly sexy to a lot of the people listening out there, but it is the, the spirit of Japanese fermented food and drinks. Without this mold, we don't have Japanese cuisine as we know it. This, this koji is used to make soy sauce. It's used to make miso. It's used to make mirin. It's used to make sake. It's used to make shochu, awamori that I mentioned before. And it's used to make a bunch of other things. And one of them is whiskey. It can be used to make whiskey. Now, koji as a mold, what does it do? Why do we need a mold to make in the in the process of creating these delicious foods and drinks well koji excretes some enzymes when it latches on to to some type of food or starch or grain and the enzymes are like little scissors and they can chop these starch chains into simple sugars starch is basically just bundled up sugar all right think of it that way why is that important it's important because yeast which is responsible for alcoholic fermentation can't ferment starch it's too big it's too complex but if you give glucose or simple soluble sugars to yeast then it's a party and the yeast will give us exactly what we want they'll give us they'll give us lots of alcohol as long as we keep feeding it glucose we get alcohol we also get carbon carbon dioxide and heat but we can we can let the carbon dioxide out and we can try and reduce the heat so that the fermentation doesn't go too too hot but koji is used in it's a naturally incur- occurring microorganism it's in the environment everywhere and lives on lots of surfaces just like yeasts do and so it's used in lots of different japanese foods and drinks as i mentioned before for awamori there's one specific type of yeast and there's three major classes or families of not yeast, I'm sorry, three major classes or families of koji that are used in Japan to make drinks. And in Japanese, we say they're they're shiro koji, ki koji, and kuro koji. What I just said was white koji, yellow koji, black koji. And they are all related, but they're different variants. And they all have different ways of expressing when they're used to make food and drinks. One interesting thing about Awamori, which as I said is is probably Japan's oldest spirit, is that to make Awamori d- today, you have to use the traditional strain which is black koji. That's that's a rule. If you use any other variant, then you can't call it by the traditional name Awamori anymore. And then sake use 99.999% of sake is made with yellow koji, which tends to have Fruity and floral aromas, or at least allows that to be released from that rice brew, that rice fermentation. Sake is only made from rice. Awamori is also only made from rice, but awamori is a spirit. Shochu can use all three. Can you? There's a lot more flexibility for shochu. I told you there's 53 base ingredients. There's no limitation on variant of koji, and so there's a lot of diversity in that in that class. Now the other way that we can go with this is in the direction of whiskey and I'm going to tell a story and this is directly tied into you know, I'll, I'll, you'll see why I'm telling this story in a moment in a moment the first person the first Japanese person and I'm speaking to whiskey fans right now the first Japanese person to ever make whiskey in the history of never ever was Kichi Takamine Takamine is his family name, T-A-K-A-M-I-N-E. And I would argue that he was the most consequential Japanese person to have ever lived in the United States of America. And all apologies to the Shohei Otani's and the Ichiro Suzukis of the world, but this guy has you beat by a country mile. And I'll tell you why. Dr. Takamine grew up in in Japan during the 1850s, 60s. He was the son of a samurai physician, and his mother was from a sake-making family. And he was a very precocious young young boy, and he was he studied tons of different things, ended up in Scotland for a while to continue his education. And quickly, once he graduated from what is now the University of Tokyo, which is a super prestigious university, he ended up going into government. And with that, he was sent to the... World Cotton Expo in New Orleans in the 1880s where he met fell in love with and eventually married a young Caroline Hitch. They had a couple of boys together. The boys names were Joe Kichi Jr, which I think is fantastic, and then Ebenezer. And they lived in Japan for a while, but Jokichi was incredibly intelligent and incredibly industrious. And he soon got hooked up with what we'll call, they went by a couple of different names, but right now we're going to call them the Illinois Whiskey Trust. And he moves to Illinois and he convinces them that he can make a whiskey, not with malted grains, but with koji grains, kojified grains for lack. We're going to invent a a new word here. He kojifies the grains by using this this mold that he, his family, you know, his mother's family was a sake making family. They had a brewery. He knew how to use koji. And he was going to use it on the grains for making whiskey. Now, why would you do that? Well, koji in a fermented mash is incredibly efficient. Sake has some of the most consistently high mash gravity some of the highest alcohol percentages in the world when you think about making beer what's the final alcohol percentage of beer usually it's somewhere between its standard is like four and a half to six percent is pretty standard if you think about the beer that you drink at home what's the and that translates to whiskey most whiskey when it's done fermenting before it's distilled is actually in the single digits in terms of the alcohol Sake, shochu, awamori, those are up in the high teens. There are some sake that are fermented up into the low double digits, up into 21, 22% alcohol. That's crazy high. It's partly because the koji is so efficient and because it works side by side with the, the yeast in a manner that I don't have time to explain right now. But it's an incredibly efficient process. And when he was talking to the Illinois Whiskey Trust, the whiskey trust, you could almost hear the numbers clicking in their brains. Oh, wow, we're going to save, we're going to make a lot of money off this process if it works. And they worked it out. They thought it was going to be in the order of around 15%, give or take the the cost savings of using koji versus the long-winded process of creating malt. So they set him up at the Manhattan Distillery in Peoria, Illinois. And he was He had a lab in the distillery. And you have to understand, the Illinois Whiskey Trust was a monopoly to end all monopolies. They controlled like 75% of whiskey production in the United States at the end of the 19th century. If this experiment worked, koji was likely to supplant all malt whiskey production in the country. Because they were going to save so much money. And it's not like they were going to pa- pass those savings on to the consumer. The trust was going to rake in money hand over fist. So, Ms. Dr. Takamine was working on this experiment, using this mold to create a bourbon. For Essentially, it was to work on a, a maltless bourbon. And he was successful. They They figured out how to do it. And in... 1891, they, they were about to start production, and they got written up in the newspapers. And it wasn't hyperbolic or anything, but it was basically the, 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 the copy in that article was saying something like, Koji whiskey is here, Doc, Dr. Takamine's process is going to make whiskey cheaper, and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't overblown or anything, but the maltsters, the, the men who made malt as a living, took careful notice and they saw a threat. So about two weeks after, Dr. Takamine's laboratory burnt to the ground under mysterious circumstances. And not only that, I read in an article in Forbes that actually they broke in and tried to kill him. Fortunately, in the middle of the night, he was able to navigate basement of the distillery far more efficient effectively than they were so they had to settle for just you know arson of course it was never investigated and nobody knows the true story of what happened but it set them back by a couple of years in 1894 they were back up and running and they were barreling there was they were making whiskey this koji whiskey and they were putting it in barrels and they were socking it away but unfortunately this was the era of teddy roosevelt And the antitrust, there was, he was very antitrust. These are monopolies, make no mistake. And so the trust busting era. And there were some laws on the books that were just kind of paper tigers. But in Illinois, they used a similar, the, the Sherman Antitrust Act to bust up the trust and basically sell off the assets. And all of this koji whiskey that had been set aside just a couple of months earlier, this was... They started in late 1894 by early 1895. Distillery was sent into receivership, and all of that Koji whiskey was lost to history essentially. It was probably blended into other products and sold off. But it was, it was, we were so close. It was so close. Koji whiskey was just inches from becoming an American whiskey style. It, it's so amazing to me that, that if it, you know, if it wasn't for you know violent, you know, violent assault on the premises, and if it wasn't for government regulation, I really think that koji whiskey would be an American story. But it wasn't, so that was one of Dr. Takamine's few failed experiments using koji to make whiskey, but he actually and i said before he's one of the most consequential japanese to have ever lived in the united states let me explain why he took his his understanding of koji and he 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 was an he was a he was a chemist he was a true scientist he moved to harlem moved his family to harlem after he had i believe it was after he had used used the enzymatic properties of koji to make a stomach digestive aid that was called taka diastase diastase is of course a family of enzymes that help to break things down one thing being starch into sugar and this was kind of like an early tums or an early roll aids almost that he was he was using the enzymatic action of koji to help calm upset stomachs so he made he made this thing on his own time in his own lab and then he licensed it to park davis which was a massive pharmaceutical company and he made a fortune moved his family to harlem where he had a home lab and he in his home lab as you do i suppose he isolated medical adrenaline which you know if you've ever used an epipen, pen epi pen you have dr takamine to thank for that it was the first ever biologic hormone isolated by in in human history and it was done by dr takamine in his townhouse in harlem so he licensed that to park davis and made another fortune and and so then he's you know later in life he's he he was he started to get into japanese american relations this is at the turn of the century you know about a decade into the 1900s and a lot of people don't realize this but he very quietly funded and helped organize the donation of the cherry trees to Washington D.C. So all of the cherry tree festivals, the cherry blossom festivals that happen in Washington in what in late March early April, that's because of Dr. Takamine. That was all him. And he's, he just he just led a remarkable life, almost entirely in the United States. Most of his big successes were in the U.S. So a lot of people, even in Japan, don't really know who he is. And I've been inspired by him for a long time. And our company, Honkaku Spirits, got excited about this. And we, we hooked up with a distillery in Fukuoka Prefecture called Shinozaki Distillery, and shinozaki mr shinozaki was also really taken by this story and really inspired by dr takamine and after making some barley some koji barley spirit just basically inspired by dr takamine tried to try barreling some some spirits and socked them away for a bunch of years and when he had something that he was happy with he approached dr takamine's family trust here in japan to see if it would be okay to use his name so went to the family meeting and said hey you know we love we love your great grandfather and this one thing that didn't really work out for him is one failed experiment the american experiment to make a koji whiskey we kind of want to bring that full circle we want to we want to run it back on that one. And is it okay if we use his name? And the, for the first time in the history of the trust, they allowed his name to be used on a product that he, didn't, he hadn't made himself. And so Takamine Koji Whiskey was born and we started selling it in the United States last year. And it's had, it's, it's had an amazing reception. Of course, the story is straight out of Hollywood. I do not know why there's not a Hollywood movie about Dr. Takamine. There really should be. He was so important and lived such a remarkable existence. And he's buried in the Bronx in Woodlawn Cemetery. And I would love for his story to get more exposure. And I would love for people to to enjoy the whiskey, of course. And this is, again, I just want to say this. He was making whiskey in Peoria, Illinois, the same year that Masataka Taketsuru, who is regarded as the grandfather of Japanese whiskey, the same year that Taketsuru was born, which is 1894. So Takamine was making whiskey in Illinois 25 years before Taketsuru ever traveled to Scotland to learn how to make whiskey, which is just mind blowing if you're into Japanese whiskey and Japanese spirits at all. And importantly, This is made, Takamine whiskey is made with koji. It's not made with malt. And so it's it's a very different experience to what you might be expecting. Most Japanese whiskey is in the Scotch tradition. Japanese, even whiskey rules often mimic Scotch rules in terms of aging and in terms of the types of wood and the ingredients and so on and so forth. But... Koji whiskey is definitely not in that tradition. Why? It doesn't use any malt. It uses only koji, which gets to the same end. It's a different means to the to the end. It's a very Japanese style of fermentation. But it's it's also it's never really been sold in Japan. It's really it was something that started in America and So now we are making it in Japan and trying and selling it in Japan, in America. And it's gotten an amazing reception. The New York Times just picked it up last month and it's won a bunch of awards already. And it's, it's just fun to go out there and taste people on it. It's, it's not a bourbon because it doesn't have any corn in it. It's not a, it's not a Japanese style kind of scotch inspired drink because it doesn't have any malt in it. It's somewhere in between. It's a, it's a bridge between those two two styles much like Takamine was a bridge between Japan and America back at the turn of the century
0: well tell us about your book your podcast as well as your brewing company
1: oh thank thanks for wow okay I wrote the shochu handbook so we'll bring it back to one of the original koji spirits I that came from a bunch of traveling around doing seminars and tastings and even even getting to the point where regional government bodies were asking me for their to consult and help them to understand the U.S. market and what they needed to do to export to the U.S. this is before I had an export company in Fukuoka Uh, so I was doing that work and I just realized me I need to I need to get this, all this stuff down on paper so that I don't have to physically be everywhere to tell people. And that's where the Shochu Handbook came from, published in 2014. And writing has always been near and dear to my heart. And I've done a bunch of writing for other publications. And I am a contributor to the recently published Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails, which came out at the end of 2021, and it is the the be all and the end all to. It's it's an encyclopedia on all things spirits, the history of different cocktails. It's a remarkable tome. It's really big too. It's heavy, so you know put a put a corset on so you don't put your back out when you lift it. But it's a absolutely essential reference for anybody who's interested in spirits, and. I continue to, to write about these drinks. And as you said, I now have I I've been a podcaster for a long time, but the first podcast that I co-hosted and still do today is about baseball, of all things, another weakness of mine. And I co-host two alcohol-related podcasts. One of them is sponsored by the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association, and it's called Sake on Air, which is great podcast, especially if you're really interested in sake, because most of, the, most of my co-hosts, the other people, the other experts that will lead sessions on that podcast are focused on sake, which of course is the more famous drink from Japan. When people think about alcohol from Japan, they probably will pretty quickly come to sake, S-A-K-E. And no, it's not pronounced sake, that would, Saki would be S-A-K-I, Saki, S-A-K-E, E, when you see a Japanese word with an E in it, the E is always pronounced like it's pronounced in Spanish, it's A. all right, so pretty easy, it's actually really easy to pronounce Japanese words if you just get the vowels down, and there's only five vowel sounds, so it's pretty simple. Then I also host a newest of the three podcasts is called Japan Distilled, and that's a podcast that focuses purely on spirits made in Japan, so we talk about Japanese whiskey, we talk about Japanese gin, we've talked about Japanese rum, shochu, of course, awamori, of course, and our most recent episode was about eau de v, Oda v made in Japan, and we focus a lot on the basic, the, the hows and the what's of these, these spirits classes, and then now, starting from now, we're in season two, we're going to start interviewing experts and people in the trade from around the world who have some understanding of how these drinks are received overseas. And so just, you know, I've always, I was a university professor. I still do spend some time at the same university, Waseda University in downtown Tokyo. I'm an educator and my DNA is education. And so a big part of this for me is just bringing these stories to new markets and teaching people about the way that, about koji culture, I think that should probably be, there you go, somebody out there should start an organization called Koji Culture that that helps to disseminate the, this knowledge. Fortunately, in the United States, a lot of chefs are working with koji in their kitchens. So you're, you're seeing koji pop up on menus from West Coast to East Coast and from North to South. There's so much flavor that can be added with koji. And I would... Encourage people to Google it, K O J I. Just learn what koji is, how you can use it at home. You can often buy salt koji, shio koji that you can use as a rub on meat and vegetables. You know, use it as a rub, leave it in the fridge for a number of hours, and then cook it. And it's just, it's just takes it to another. It takes, it's two different levels of flavor and aroma. So it's coming. And hopefully the podcast and hopefully my book. Have done something, some small, had small, some small part in disseminating this aspect of Japanese culture.
0: Well, go ahead and throw out your contact information so people can stay connected with you, your website, your company website, any contact information, social media, all that good stuff.
1: Thank you. Uh, My name is a little bit cumbersome, but basically it involves some version of my first and last names in all of this stuff. I'm very, Easy to contact and very active on Twitter at Chris, C H R I S, Pellegrini, P E L L E G R I N I. And then on Instagram, which I'm also pretty active on, it's my full first name at Christopher, C H R I S T O P H E R, and then Pellegrini again. Those are the two most active. I also have a page on Facebook that I actually very up to date with and in that one the name is inverted so it's japanese style last name first then given name pellegrini christopher and that that was because my personal page is the opposite and you can't have you can't have two things with the same name so i had to flip it and the comp our company website in the u.s is www honkaku spirits honkaku is h-o-n k a k u and then spirits.com and that's actually a decent resource because there's a lot of information about how koji is used to make shochu and awamori and whiskey and then also if you are interested in trying takamine koji koji whiskey 8 year then you can go to the brand page on honkakuspirits.com and there's a find find a retailer button and using either a zip code or GPS or city name, you can type that in and find exactly which bottle shops carry it. And you can find restaurants and bars that have it on the back bar. So you can go and check it out for yourself. Um, I think those are the, Basic ones, I think if you want to reach out, if you want to talk Koji, just just DM me and we can start a conversation about these amazing drinks and and you know hopefully they won't be Japan's best kept secret for too much longer. I really enjoy talking about these spirits and introducing people to them, but I, I also look forward to a time. I believe it's only five years from now when I can say to someone my company deals in shochu and they're like oh yeah shochu yeah 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 i've 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 had that before it was really interesting and i i had a rice shochu that was was really floral and really light and i enjoyed it maybe i have a picture here look at this this is what i had now, i can't wait for that time and i don't think we're far from it but we do have a lot more education to go a lot more tastings a lot more fun but you know basically we just need people to go out there and try it and understand that There is a shochu and awamori for everyone. It is, as I said, the most diverse spirits class on the planet because of that single pot distillation. There are about 5,000 brands of shochu and awamori made every year in Japan, which I know sounds ridiculous, and it is, but it's because of the variety of aroma profile that that's possible. There's so much of this is regional. So much of it is made by small craft distilleries. That are multi generational. You know, some of the distilleries in our portfolio at Honkaku Spirits are like on the fifth generation master brewer distiller. Everybody's from the same family. It's a family business, and that's what I love about this. That's what inspires me, and that's hopefully those are the products that I I want people to drink in their homes in the United States.
0: Well, let's close the show out with this final question. Tell us about some of the successes and failures of trying to establish these spirit categories in the United States as well as across the world.
1: Yeah, I'm going to start with the challenges, I think. The challenges are just that nobody's heard of shochu or awamori before. And so it's, it's tricky to help these drinks find their footing in especially in the US market that is so competitive and moves so quickly. And there are new products all the time. And it can be challenging to find the best way to communicate with people. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's as simple as just saying here, try it. If you're into quality, try this, this, there's nothing but quality here and and then in other cases you need to come from a a cocktails perspective and then in other cases you need a food pairing perspective in some contexts sometimes it's a sometimes you know what and i i want to say this first drinking alcohol is not good for your health and anybody who says differently is is blowing some smoke but i can say there are different levels of unhealthiness i don't i don't want to call it super unhealthy but Shochu and awamori are the lowest calorie spirits on the planet. And that's because there are no additives allowed in their production. So there's no sugars. There's no, you know, color changes. Most A lot of whiskey has caramel added to it to balance the color from batch to batch. And that adds calories. That's not allowed in, in shochu and awamori productions. Expressly prohibited. So they are very low calorie. And they are in in japan if you have gout and you like to drink your your doctor will will say oh okay well if you if you're going to keep drinking even though you're diagnosed with gout then you should be drinking to an awamori because they don't cause gout to flare but sometimes you lead with these you don't lead with these stories but you make sure to tell these stories the the problem, I think the challenge with to and awamori is that they're so diverse. There's so many different s- subcategories. There's so many different ways to enjoy them that it can be overwhelming for customers. And they often will say, okay, well, that was interesting. I don't know what, I still don't get it. And I'd like to try it again sometime. But if you don't bring it to their attention again soon, then they're going to lose track of it. They're going to lose sight of it. And that's certainly true for bar managers. It's true for bartenders who... Often they have salespeople coming in and pitching them on new products all the time and they just lose track of things in it. You really have to be, you have to go back again and again and again to keep hammering the message. And if you don't, then you might be starting from square, square one. When you go back in there with new products, you say, we just tried this before. We tried something similar before. I've got new ones in. You want to try these? And they're like, huh? You got what? So that's a challenge. It's a serious challenge because you have all of these you have hundreds of shochu and awamori makers in japan all who are immensely proud proud of their products they all want to promote their own drinks but nobody's heard the heard of the category before so we have to work together as a team and just convincing these makers to work together can be quite the endeavor i often tell them you know you guys you guys can once we've got this as an established category in markets around the world, then you guys can fight like cats in a bag over territory and branding and all that stuff. But until then, we have to pull in the same direction. Otherwise, none of this is gonna work because none of you guys can afford to have your own sales team in the US to develop that market. We all have to share resources and and do it together. So a lot of the communication I do in Japan is just coaxing people into working together and to be in team players. In the near and medium term, so that they can go back to the, <laughs> go back to their default settings once we get to the long term, once these are established categories. in fact, i'm I'm headed down to Okinawa, which is the southwesterly most prefecture of Japan, tomorrow morning, to give exactly that type of talk to the distillery Association, just to talk about next steps for bringing their products to foreign markets. How do they do that? And one of my big messages, of course, it's going to be unity. It's going to be playing on the same, you know, moving in the same direction with the same message and putting the category above the brand for the time being. So challenges, I think just to summarize that it's a lot of, it's, it's hurting. It sounds, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's a lot like hurting cats sometimes. So that's, I'm, I'm an educator. I never thought I'd ever become a business person or an entrepreneur. But that's what's happened and I'm, and I'm grateful for it because I've learned so much and I'm learning three new things every day that I'm not very good at. I'm playing out of position all the time and that's fine. That's the way it needs to be for, for young businesses. You have to be scrappy. Successes, we've, I think we're good at education. I think we're good at getting people excited about these drinks. And I think we're good at telling the stories and we have amazing stories because we work with amazing people. And these people happen to be my friends because I've just lived here being a part of those industries for a couple of decades now. And so I think that's something that, that's our strength. And I think it's something that we can build on in the future. The, but we're, our strengths are being hamstrung by a global weakness right now, which is the shipping situation, the international shipping situation. You may have read about it or heard about it. If you're in international trade, you absolutely know the pains that everyone is feeling and how difficult and expensive it is to move product from A to B, that is absolutely still the case. We're incurring costs that we had never planned for when we started the business in 2020. And it's just something that everybody has to deal with. So I don't, I don't complain about it that much because everybody is like they start playing a violin and Yeah. Tell me something I haven't heard already, but we'll get through it. And you know, people are staying home all the time. So I'd encourage you to pick up or learn about Koji spirits and go to your local shop. And if they don't have them, your local bottle shop is like, we don't carry any shochu or any any of this Koji whiskey that you speak of or awamori. Well, then tell them that you're interested in it and that you'll buy it if they have it. And they will. They'll figure out how to get it. If they can sell it, they'll get it. So it's coming, everyone. And thank you, Curtis, for having me on, because I think your your listeners, your audiences are some of the first people who are going to really know about this or at least have heard about it and and maybe start to, to ask questions about it. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. So thank you.
0: Well, I'd like to thank you for your incredible knowledge and listeners. You might be the first to know about it, but we don't want you to be the only one. So please be sure to Cheers. follow, rate, review, share this episode after listening Go download that Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app from the Google Play Store and share this episode to your friends, as many people as possible, especially those whiskey lovers. Christopher Pellegrini, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. And come by.
0: For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused. On living the dream dream.